So now I'm going to speak a little bit about the theme which Phil was suggesting for tonight. Uh, what is self-compassion? And, uh, you know, in a, in, a sh in a nutshell, we could say, you know, that we treat ourselves the same way how we would treat a good friend, you know, or how we would like to be treated by a good friend. <coughs> that's, I think that's a very simple way of, of defining what self-compassion is all about, and it consists, you know, of two components. The first one is, is you know, to really fully be with our experience, and that's what we just did in the meditation, you know, to train ourselves in mindfulness. It's actually mindfulness and clear comprehension. Just, you know, being mindful alone is actually not enough. We also have to understand what is happening. And... Uh, For example, you know, you could mindfully crack, uh, you know, break into a house and, and steal things, you know. That wouldn't be true mindfulness, though, you know, because mindfulness has also the component of clear comprehension, understanding, you know, what is suitable and what is wholesome, you know, for oneself and for others. For example, in, you know, in Buddhist meditation, an effective meditation cannot be... Uh, divorced from what we call the five precepts, you know, five ethical precepts, not harming living beings, not taking what is not given freely, you know, not harming others and oneself with one's sexual energy, not lying, and not taking drinks and drugs to the extent that it leads to carelessness and that we break all the other four precepts. So, you know, the Buddhist meditation is always combined with ethics because if we don't keep basic ethics, we're going to have a lot of remorse and confusion in the mind and the meditation doesn't go anywhere. So I just want to say that as well. So it's, it's about, you know, the first point, the mindfulness and clear comprehension is about really being in a spacious way aware about one's experience, what is happening, you know painful, pleasant, neutral, and then all the rest of it. So that's the first point. And then the second point is, is you know, caring for oneself, caring for the experience in the same way as you would care for a good friend, which means, you know, really embracing one's own reactions to one's experience. You know, if there's a lot of, for example... Maybe something is going on and we have a lot of resistance, you know. Then just letting the resistance be okay too, you know. Embracing the whole thing. And embracing the difficult experience, the difficult things which are going on in the body and the mind. And it's all together. It's one package. And it's all okay, you know, because it's happening. So, and because it's happening, it's okay. And then, you know, from that spaciousness of being with one's experience, then one can respond, you know. Sometimes we have to say no, and sometimes we have to kind of make more space, but it's, it's responding is not the same as reacting, you know. Responding is coming a sense, there's wisdom there, and a sense of perspective, whereas reacting is just a knee-jerk reaction, you know, habitual reaction. And then, you know, we cannot repeat the same thing again and again in our lives, you know, and we are wondering, you know, why is always the same thing happening to me? It's because we are approaching 
you know, things in the same habitual way. And the meditation helps us, you know, to break out of these habitual ways of responding, uh, of reacting, really, and then create space so we can respond. And respond, you know, is the same root as the word responsibility, which means, you know, we take responsibility for our experience, which means we allow it to be what it is, and then we see what's the best way, you know, to go about this. And the meditation is really, you know, is the technology which empowers the mind so, so the mind can do this, you know. Because usually the mind is not strong enough, you know, it just gets swept away like in the current of the habit. In order to be able to kind of stop and consider what's the right thing, we need to be, the mind needs to be strong, you know. And the meditation is like the same, you know, if you go to a gym and you use some of the machines there to train your muscle, meditation is like training the muscle of mindfulness and clear comprehension and making the mind strong so that you can make wiser choices, you know. And uh, it's, you know, it's not rocket science, as I said before, and it's, it's this uh, image of the hen, you know, which is sitting on her eggs. She doesn't need to kind of do much, but she needs to really attend to the task at hand, you know. And in meditation, the task at hand is to be in the present moment. And once you, when you notice that the mind goes into the past or into the future, hopes and fears, as soon as you notice it, you just stop and you come back. And that's not, that's not easy to do, you know. That's actually very difficult to do. Especially, you know, if the habits have, if there's some very powerful habits triggered, you know, can be very difficult. If we are living, having a difficult relationship with somebody at work or at home, you know, we easily go into habits and it's where it, it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be a way out, you know, because it's such an automatic trigger. And the meditation enables us, you know, to, to learn ways, you know, how we can actually support our minds that, that don't go down the same alley, you know, again and again and again and again. And, you know, the meditation, the Buddhist meditation, there's like different practices and today I just want to give a bit of an overview and, you know, there are the inside practices, they are more like the cool practices, they are about like cutting through habits and then there's the warm practices they are more like embracing and melting things difficult things you know they are what they are called the divine abidings because they they are mind states you know which are compared to mind states of divine beings because they they're called loving kindness compassion sympathetic joy and equanimity. They are the four divine abidings. And there's the two different ways, you know, how we can approach an unruly mind. We either kind of cut through it in a, in a kind of, through insight, and I will speak about that in a moment, or we embrace it and, 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 and kind of contain it, you know, like you would, uh, you would console a little child, you know, who wakes up in the night from a nightmare. You're not going to say, oh, this is just a dream and just shut up or something like that. It won't work, you know. But you will 
kind of hold the child and just let it kind of go through its motions and then it's finished, you know. And that you can do that with yourself. So that's the two ways of how we can approach it, you know. And self-compassion is a combination of both. Because first, you know, we need to kind of check out what's happening by, by you know, being mindful of our experience and then we, you know, we need to discern the right course of action, you know, because sometimes the right course of action is like no, and sometimes the right course of action is to really see, you know, what's needed now. So it's it's not like a, you know, like a one kind of approach. It's a, it's a whole spectrum of approaches, and and we we need to make the right choice, you know, and the right choice, we can only have the capacity to make the right choice if there's wisdom. And wisdom comes through understanding the way things are. Wisdom comes from understanding reality, how reality works. And, uh, and that understanding comes from, you know, life experience to a certain extent. But also, it, it, you know, we can quicken that process. We don't need to become very old, you know, in order to have a lot of experience, we can quicken that process through meditation by really, you know, focusing our minds and looking at our experience. And, uh, for example, you know, what the first thing, what we find out, I think, is, you know, that we, we start to understand that life is hard for everybody, you know, there's no exception. Because we all, you know, we all get sick, we all age and we all die. And that's, for example, you know, a, a reflection which is a daily reflection in the monastery which we are, you know, taught to do. So to bring that really home, you know, it's not just about happening to me, but it happens to anybody. Anybody who is born is going to get sick, is going to age and is going to die. And anybody who is born, you know, has unpleasant experiences. And then, you know, through that we get a perspective on things. So if, if something difficult happens to us, we are not anymore feeling so victimized by life, you know, because we, we have a bigger perspective. We understand, you know, if you're born, this is just going to happen. And it's, it's something we need to make space for that, you know, rather than resisting it. Because through resisting it, it just it's much more difficult to bear. And... Uh, you know, that's, for example, a result of inside meditation, to really understand that on a very deep level, that difficult experiences are okay, you know, because it couldn't be otherwise, you know. How would you, how should that work, you know? People getting born and then never die, how would, what kind of a world would that be? It, 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 it just does not compute, you know, and once that is really seen deeply, you know, not just thinking about it or hearing it from somebody, but really kind of contemplating it, you know, and letting it sink in, it does have an effect. And I've just brought like uh, one of the contemplations, you know, we are, we are taught to do in the monastery to just give you a, a taste of it, you know, you might, you might be surprised to hear that, but that's, that's the contemplation. For example, I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. 
I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. And then the last one is, I am the owner of my karma, and karma means action with intention. I am the owner of my karma, or sometimes called karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide, supported by my karma, whatever karma I shall do for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. Thus we should frequently recollect. For example, those five things, you know, if we recollect them, it's just like over time, you know, it's going to sink into the system and it's, it's considered to be a motivator for meditation, you know. If we don't feel a sense of urgency, if we get fall asleep in the meditation, you know, because we feel bored, then we just need to really contemplate that. It brings a sense of urgency because it really drives home what's really, you know, what it is to be a human being. It's not a, a kind of, it's not like an easy thing, you know. It's a hard experience we all have to go through. You know, we are born as little babies and then don't know how long we're going to live. Everybody has different amount of years to live. But during this time, there will be a lot of experience which are difficult, you know. And therefore, you know, to train ourselves in self-compassion is, is a very good idea, really. And then, you know, we can also help others because we understand what's at stake, you know, and what, what's really, what we can expect of life. And, you know, and that is, in a short form, that's what wisdom is all about, you know, to kind of keep an open mind and at the same time, you know, not have too high expectations and being able, you know, to deal with what is coming to us and not always having to have our expectations met, you know, and if, it, and if, if they are not met, you know, kind of starting to kind of developing a victim mentality, you know, and really kind of, some people develop very strong habits, you know, they cannot really <clears throat> keep a mind open. They need to kind of distract themselves or in a, you know, or just not able to really allowing life to inform them. And then through that informing, you know, adapting and, and uh, having the capacity to bounce back, you know, from difficult experiences. And in this way, you know, difficult experiences are really uh, they're supporting us, you know, because they are they are kind of like alarm bells going off, you know, which, which if we are able to really respond in the right way, they can be very strong motivators, you know, to take up some kind of a practice which is conducive to cultivating wisdom, you know. And I think that's what you're offering people here also with, with the meditation teachings, isn't it? People who come to you because they want to learn something about 
how to help themselves, right? And, you know, this, this self-compassion is really, you know, to become our own coach, really, to become our own best friend. And from that position, you know, we have much more resilience to meet life. So I wonder, you know, if you have any questions or comments on this. Yeah? Uh, I have a question about, uh, like, how much of meditation uh, deals with uh, the unconscious mind? Because it seems like you're trying to have a clear mind, but also work things out. So mm -hmm. there would have to be something else going on that you're not aware of. I don't understand your question. I mean, you, you say about the unconscious mind. I think, you know, through, through the meditation over the years, you know, more and more of the unconscious material just becomes slowly but surely conscious. You know? This is like, you, you know, if you have like uh, layers and layers of dirt, like say on the window, you know, and you start to clean it off, you know, more, you see more and more clearly through the window. And that means, you know, things you haven't been seeing before, you can see better and better, you know, it's, it's just a process. And there, you know, there less and less material is, is, is going to be unconscious and more and more becomes conscious and, and through that it becoming conscious, Lots of the habits, they just drop away, you know. And that's something, you know, which, which you can experience by, by doing it, you know. Doing the meditation, you, you, you find out that this is what's happening. For example, you know, there might be something before, if, if somebody looks at you in a certain way, you feel kind of a sense of... of Offense, you know, for example, coming up, you know, a sense of anger or something, you know. And then in the meditation, you kind of, you meet that anger, you know, you meet that sense of, of, of ill will and, and resistance and f maybe feeling judged, you know, by that person's look or something like that, you know. And then if you really kind of make friends with that experience, melting it, you know, like after a certain amount of time, it will not happen anymore. It's digested, you know. It's like if you have undigested material in your mind, you know, and in your body as well, because it gets stored in the body too. Trauma, for example, you know, gets stored in the body and in the mind. And then through the practice, you are slowly but surely, you know, digesting it, you could say. And then you can let it go. It no longer triggers you. You know, and then you're more free. You know, your world is a bit bigger and you can, you have more tolerance. And then you get the next thing, you know, and the next thing, and the next thing. Until full enlightenment, you know. It's just kind of about creating capacity. Yes, exactly. Creating capacity, you know, to be, to have a wider range of human experience, you know. And also a wider range of how, and choice about how you are responding. So your world gets bigger and bigger. It's like, you know, if you live in a house with walls and then you just take out the walls and one wall after the next, after the next, and suddenly, you know, there's no more wall. That would be full enlightenment. 
Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for so many wonderful points. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> I think a couple of times you mentioned that uh, once we do meditation, control our thoughts and. Uh, I didn't um, say control. Well, or <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like you know being able to just let it be. Right. But it's this ultimate control is because you don't need control. No, but at one point when we do have mm -hmm. something that is problematic, right? So that controls us, right? Yes. Uh, and that's what you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. uh, also how wisdom comes to you and that will help with everything. But maybe a couple of times you said something that, because it's what we are meant to be, right? Did you mention that? that mm -hmm. Once we control... Well, no, I won't use the word control. Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, but uh, let, me, let me explain, you know, for example, yeah. if there's very, let's say there would be some difficult thoughts coming up, you know, which right. we don't want to follow because they, you right. know, they are like not wholesome, you know, for mm. oneself right. and for others. You can, you, you let the thoughts, but you don't, you don't follow, you know. Right. I, I might, uh, I might now, you know, think I, I'd like that cup, you know, and, and I, I'd like to rip it out of your hand. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> you know, because I know that's not a good thing to do. I don't want to be a person like doing this, you know. Right. So then I, I don't have to stop the thought, but I have to disconnect, you know, the thought from that's not me, you know. It's just happening in the mind, but right. I don't have to do it. I don't have to identify with it, you know. So that's what we train ourselves in in the meditation is to, to kind of to dis to disconnect, you know. That yes, there is a body and a mind. They are really here. I can see the body, you know, and I experience the mind. But I don't have to do. I don't have to become it. You know what I mean? Because my my mind my observing mind, you know, which is like the mind consists of different parts, you know, right. but my observing mind can know what is going on and it can still choose not to follow, you know what I mean? Right. And that's what we train, that capacity, that freedom, you know, of have, mm -hmm. making, making a decision, okay, this one I follow because it's a good thing, you know, like when Phil was inviting us and then, I, okay, it's time to come, then I, I did that, you know, because we needed to plan and everything. It's not that I, I refuse every thought, but I, I choose, you know. But then the next thought is, you know, I'd like her cup of tea. I'm not going to get up and take it, you know. Actually, I don't want it anyway. <laughs> but, but I just mean, you know, to have that choice, you know. And that's what we train ourselves in, you know. And, and that's not a control, per se, but it's more like, it's it's knowing what is what is leading to happiness and contentment and what is leading to suffering and then you follow that which what is leading to happiness and contentment for yourself and others and and you don't follow the other thing you know because like this is the ultimate definition of wisdom and right view in buddhism is about you know what is to know about what is good for oneself and what is good for others, you know. So it's not necessarily, you know, having read all the books in the world and memorizing the text. It's much simpler than that, you know. It's not a body of knowledge, but it's making the right, knowing what leads to, to happiness and contentment and away from suffering, you know, and knowing the difference. And, that's, and, and then, you know, live like this. 
And then still, you know, you still get old and get sick and die. But that's something you can't escape from because as a human being, that's just how it operates here in this realm, you know. And we all human beings, we all have that. This is our, this is the program, you know, of being a human being is like this. And it's neither good nor bad because it's not, it's, we don't have a choice about this, you know. But there's lots of things we do have a choice and the teaching is all about those things where we have a choice, you know. And those things where we don't have a choice, we use those to motivate ourselves, you know, to develop the skills, to make skillful choices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Backing up a little bit, what you said earlier, you said there's response, and what was the other? React. React. So is anger a reaction? I think, no, anger is just, is a mind state, you know, and then you, if you follow it, you know, and lash out in anger, that means you, you, you react, you know, but if you step back and say, okay, there is anger in the body, I can feel, you know, I'm getting hot and getting tense, and there is anger in the mind, I feel like I just like to lash out, you know, yeah. but then I don't do it, then it's going to end by itself, you know, because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then after which I can do the right response, you know, because it might be needed sometimes to make a very strong response and say no. But, well, that's just human nature to, like, some people just tick you off and, and you get angry at them. Or the guy driving down the deer foot and gets cut off, he's got It's fine to get angry. Rate. It's just as long as you don't harm anybody in your anger, it's fine to be angry. Yeah. But then, you know, you also the unpleasant experience of anger, you know, you might not like it, you know, because oh, this no, is why you we... you feel you're out of control. Yeah, but that's why we lash out, because we don't, we can't tolerate the feeling, you know. But, and then through inside meditation, you know, that anger habit can get weaker and weaker, you know, because you see, you actually hurt yourself, you know. Yeah. So... And for that, we need to really pay attention, you know. And it's, it, it, it's, nobody says that anger is a bad thing, you know. Anger is just anger. But if, it, if you identify with it, you know, and then lose, you know, lose mindfulness and make harmful choices, you know, it's, it's, it's not great, you know, because then afterwards you have regret, then you have to kind of repair that and apologize and... It's a whole mess, isn't it? Yeah. It can destroy lives. So, mm -hmm. are you saying that anger in some way is a release? Like you're venting your frustrations? You know, in the scriptures it, it's compared like, I mean it sounds terrible when I say it, but it's like kind of licking honey from a razor blade, you know? The first thing is like, you feel it like a sweet and then, you know, like that. Yeah. So just if you if you consciously experience that, you know, let's say for 500 times, you know, you're going to learn something about oh, yeah. anger, you know, and then you feel like, I just so much don't want to be carried away by this, you know, it's not worth it, yeah. because I make mess, you know, and then I, and then I suffer from the mess, you know, so, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Something you said there stuck out to me that people identify with the emotion 
instead of just allowing it. Mm -hmm. In my world and my experience and the people that I spend time with, I think people identify with their emotions because it's a way of figuring out where they fit in. Like, you know, people like labeling people, right? And so I work with kids. <laughs> so there are kids who identify as the funny guy, right? Or identify as the rebel or whatever. But this is the opposite of that. It's more like just allowing it and not owning it. But do you have any advice to make that easier? Like, I, I, speaking for myself personally, I, I find it really easy to slip into that. Uh, I need to be this way or I need to react this way because people expect it of me or because I identify as this type of person. Yeah. But how do you just, how do you create that distance from that and, and just get to that place of allowing the emotions to happen without identifying? Yeah, but by, by, by practicing meditation, you know. That's just it. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know you see more and more. You lose the fear of 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 emotions, you know. And you can see it's like it's like habit. There's a certain amount of habit going on and repetition, you know. And, and you can see it's just like if certain causes and conditions are in place, this happens. And if other causes and conditions are in place, that happens. So then you you start. To, where you know it, that's not really you. It's just like the coming together of many causes and conditions, and then you know, and then there's more capacity to to kind of step back and then you know decide what you want to follow. And 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 the, the the compass for it is you know is it wholesome for myself and for others? It's not that you can't be the funny person or the rebel or something. Of course. Everybody, you know, we, I have a name too, and I, I live, and, 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 and I have a passport, and, and I have an address and everything. It's not that I, I don't exist and that I'm nobody. You know, it's, of course you are somebody, but it's not like you are not a victim to your habitual <coughs> thought patterns. You make, a, you, know, the, you make a certain choice, and to a certain extent, we are. You know, we all are born with a certain character, and with a personality, it's not about not having a, you know, not, not, because you have to, you have to uh, display yourself in the world as somebody, but it's just about that it is not unwholesome, you know. Because if, if, a, if a, you know, if, if a character gets too intense, it goes into some unwholesomeness, you know. And then, if it if there's a, if it's a certain spaciousness, then you know because good people are all different, and and that's okay. It's okay, you know. It's just about the only important thing is wholesome and unwholesome, you know. In terms of does it lead to happiness and contentment, or does it lead to more suffering, you know? Would yeah. you agree that? A life incident can dull your compassion and okay, here's the example. My wife passed away eight years ago and I figure I went through about eight or ten months. I didn't talk as much as I do now. I I really don't think that I uh, <clears throat> had a lot of emotions. 
and uh, and then decorating the Christmas tree, which was their biggest thing, Christmas, and um, just turn everything around. And now I'm on the other side of it. I go to Dumbo and I'm sitting there crying. And, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't bother me. If the person in the next seat looks at me and got tears running, I don't care. So what's the question? Well, <laughs> my question is, a life incident can dull your emotions? Yeah. Put them, stall them? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like a trauma response, you know, freezing. Freezing for some time, yeah. you know, and it is also there's there's some makes some sense also, you know, because sometimes that's a it protects you if you can't deal with it now, you freeze just for some time, and then when you're ready, you then you digest, you know, yeah. that's what you did. It's a good thing. Oh yeah, and when those emo emotions start flooding back, you're on a high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's high on life. You know, there's those three responses, you know, flight, fight, and freeze. And, you know, and at the different times, different ones are, are, are the right thing, you know. And then if we really, our minds are really powerful and strong, we don't need to do any of those three. We can just be with the way things are, you know. But it takes training. Yeah. You? Uh, well, I was going to ask how you balance karma and thinking about a situation, maybe a personal situation, or dealing with kids, or, or raising a kid, do you think about how you would react and how you could better react? But I get into a what if, and think about 1,600 different scenarios sort of thing about what could be said, what, what, what I might say back. And, I find myself so much into the future. How does that fit into a, a meditation that, you know, helps, you know, in a meditative <coughs> mindset to not be rolling over those what ifs? I, know, I mean, you know, it's difficult because, it's, you know, I have never had to bring up children, so I, I don't, you know... But I, we have novices in the monastery, maybe in that way it's kind of similar. Of course, you know, you're worried and you, you know, kind of trying to preempt, you know, whatever things can happen. But then at least, you know, in the meditation try not to do that in the in the when you say half sit for half an hour or sit for forty minutes, the mind is still going on and on and on and at least then, you know, kind of dropping it and coming back. You know, that's that's a and then that will have a positive effect, you know. Because the mind becomes, you know, Stronger through through, the, through this ex, through this very simple exercise, you know, of of kind of stepping out of the habitual way of worrying about things or desiring a different experience or resisting experience or going to sleep or you know, there's they're called the hindrances, you know. The mind has there are five different hindrances according to the scriptures, you know, and they hinder the mind from functioning properly, you know, because if you're so kind of carried away, you don't, you, you're really not <coughs> capable of of being fully in the present moment with your kid, for example, and then from that being really fully there, that would be the best starting point for making an effective choice, you know, saying the right thing. But if you're in your head, like kind of worrying about the future, 
you're not really there, you know. So that's that's the kind of that's the uh, that's the theory behind it is you know if you're really there, that gives you the best chance you know to to actually say the right thing you know and sometimes the right thing is to not say anything you know or just to just be there you know and I think you know that that the being in the present moment. Is, is just really the, the most powerful point, you know, from where to say something or do something, you know, and, and worrying about the future and all of that. You're just, your capacity is, is like much lower, you know, to, to actually be effective. My, my worry in the future is about that moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. That conversation that we are having. Yeah. Say and do the right thing, and yeah. so on. The but worry the, from before was about that moment. Yeah, uh, but then you know, with with self compassion, for example, you 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 kind of allow yourself. It's okay to worry, you know. But then also, you, at the same time, also considering you know, worrying isn't really solving anything. So you know, to kind of on one hand, to say it's normal to worry because it is, you know, and then on the other hand, also saying, but actually, you know, it's not really very helpful. So, you know, to not kind of suppress the worrying, but also not encouraging it, you know. Because we can get, like, completely, you know, obsessed, isn't it, with thinking about something which really is very disempowering, you know. So, you know, the Buddhist teaching is also called the middle way, you know. It's, 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 it's neither suppressing it nor buying into it, you know. It's like... It's a very subtle kind of a middle way between those both extremes, you know. Neither believing it, nor indulging, you know, nor suppressing it. And so, in, in, in when you're worrying, you know, it's not kind of completely getting lost in the worrying, but at the same time allowing it also to be what it is, you know. And if you if if you do that, you know, on an ongoing basis, I mean, it's not going to be fixed like in one sitting, you know. But if you do that in an ongoing basis, you will be less and less worried about your worrying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you know, it's gonna it's gonna lose the energy because it's your resistance to it, you know, which feeds it. You know, all of those strong emotions like anger or lust, you know, or worrying and fear and all of those things. It's our resistance to being with the emotion as it is, which actually, you know, which feeds it. And in the scriptures it's spoken about, they call it the second error. You know, you're, like say, you're shot by an error and it's really painful, you know. And then if you're like, you know, kind of ruminating about the pain, you know, who shot it and... and and what is it made of, and why did it happen, rather than going just to the doctor and having it removed, then you're just shooting a second one, you know. And that's what I mean, you know, if you're just with the worry, not worrying about the worry, then it's at least only one worry, you know, but if you're worrying about the worry, it's two. <laughs> and then, you know, the energy of the, the worry energy will just kind of release itself slowly, you know. What's the difference between yes. worrying about the future and planning for the future? 
You, I, say, I think planning about the future is necessary, isn't it? We need to do planning. Yeah. But then what, what is important is, you know, to hold the plan like this, you know, not like this. Because we all need to, I had to plan to come here today, you know, and Phil had to plan yeah. to invite me and everything, of course. And, and we ha but we held it like this, you know, because if it wouldn't have happened, if something would have happened, I couldn't have come, you wouldn't have collapsed, you know, because of that. You would have just, you know, found another solution. My view would have given a talk <laughs> or something. So it's kind of, you know, planning, but then, you know, keeping an open mind and see if it's possible to pull it through, we do it, you know. But if it's not possible, then we do something else. And not, uh, you know, not being so kind of yeah, to get rid of tense. Are you German? Yeah. I'm from Austria. I, I thought so, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a question back there. Hi, I'd like to ask uh, if you have a simple practice for those people who'd like to have more self-compassion, yeah. Yeah, loving kindness meditation. Maybe we can just we, we just have very little time left, but we can do five minutes. Okay, can we? So loving kindness meditation. This is one of those four divine abidings I was speaking about. You know, it's called meta meditation. Sometimes maybe you've heard that. So you know, you just you, again we do the same thing as before. Before we were doing inside meditation and we were seeing impermanence and now we do loving kindness meditation. You just you start the same way. You feel your body sitting and breathing in and breathing out. And then you in your heart area, which is here like at the chest area, you can put your hand if you're not can you if you can feel it, you don't need to, but if you cannot feel you put your hand here. And then you know you can bring up an image of, of 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 a being which ignites that feeling of loving kindness, like maybe a little puppy or a little kitten or a baby or some lovely something. And then see you know what kind of a feeling arises in the in the heart area. And just breathing into that feeling. like a you know a warm light which kind of permeates the chest area and then permeates the whole body so before we were meditating on the body breathing and now we are meditating on that sensation of warmth which you know wells up from the heart And then you just, you know, let it radiate out in front of you. Not forcing it, just, you know, breathing into it. And then let it radiate out to one side. 
and behind. And to the other side. And just all around. And above and below. And then, you know, sitting in this orb of loving-kindness, which, you know, you give it first to yourself and to your own experience, and then, you know, it radiates out to everyone here in the room. And then, you know, it goes out around the building, And just, you know, if we pay attention in this way, we kick-start it with this image, and then it just wells up like a, a spring from the heart. Because this is the natural response of the heart. And, you know, we can train ourselves to, to do this at will, if we want to. And then, you know, we can hold our own suffering with this loving-kindness, or, or we can meet others in this way. But difficult situations, you know, we can, like, say, if we know we need to go to a difficult meeting, we can just, like, empower ourselves before in this way. So now it's time, you know, to end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.